If you'd like to turn in your Bibles, um, well, actually, we're going to be all over the place. (laughs) I would encourage you to have an outline. If you have a bulletin, you might want to get the outline out. As I've said, today we start a series in Revelation, although it will be a few weeks before we actually get to the first verse. The reason is, is because as we come to Revelation, we need to put some foundational thoughts down. As you know, uh, there are many Christians in the world that look at Revelation differently. And uh, sometimes they go, they do the study for actually the wrong reason. They just go in for just curiosity's sake, you know. Let me find out a little bit more about the beast, or let me have a better understanding of the tribulation, or, you know, what is heaven like? But we really want to step back and say, really, why do we want to study revelation? Why do we study prophecy? You know, that word why um, is the motivator. In other words, I could put it in different terms. Uh, Why would you go on a diet? The why is real important, right? Right? I mean, if you say, well, I want to look a little thinner, I want to be noticed, that's one thing. If your doctor sits down with you and says, listen, unless you lose this weight, you will be dead in two years. Yeah, the motivator's uh, stronger in that sense, right? I mean, why do we do anything? Why do we diet? Why do we exercise? Why do we pay our bills on time? Well, because you know the consequences. There's the motivator. Why do we want to walk holy? I mean, why do we have devotions? Why do we have prayer? Why do we, at times, even do uh, fasting? Well, because there's um, benefits. We know the why. That God is pleased that we would be drawn towards him. So again, when we study prophecy, we want to ask that question. We want to spend the whole time today just on answering that question. Why study prophecy? See, because a lot of people look at it as secondary. It's just a second. Do you understand that actually there's some churches, movements, pastors that never speak on prophecy? Never. They see it as secondary. They see it as is not that important. Again, I've heard, and probably so have you, that this study of prophecy is, is again, an option in, in, in pursuing other weightier doctrines, as they would say. Again, uh, is it critical that we understand the doctrine of the Bible? That it's inerrant, sufficient, authoritative? Absolutely. Is it, is it uh, critical that we understand Christology, the doctrine of Christ? Uh, who he was and what he's done for us as far as substitutionary death? Absolutely. You know, we could go through all the major doctrines of Scripture and each one of us, I would hope, would say yes. We need to have a solid understanding of the doctrine of the Bible and of Christ and of God and of the Holy Spirit and of salvation and of sin and each one of them have major doctrines. They are a doctrine in themselves. But I hope you would say the same thing when it comes to the study of the end times, eschatology. That yes, it's absolutely critical. In other words, (coughs) we would die on the hill of Genesis 1 through 3, right? Six-day creation. Sometimes we get real wishy-washy when it comes to the end of the book. It's like, well, it really doesn't matter. No, it does matter. Isn't, it, isn't the whole purpose of the Bible to show us what the end is going to be? 
Now again, a lot of different uh, pastors over the year, now a lot of times people go back to the Reformation. See, during the Reformation, they were in the fight just to determine who, I mean, what the Bible really was. In other words, did the Roman Catholic Church have the right to say that the church was authoritative over the Bible? So they were fighting for the Bible. The Reformers were fighting for the Bible, which meant they were also fighting for what true salvation was. Was it through works or was it Christ alone? So that's what the Reformers really focused on. In other words, Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and all those great men that you so often hear about were literally focused on the Bible, Christ, and salvation. I mean, if you see their writings, that's pretty much all they were. And then how do you grow? And because of that, some people have gone back and said, look at, look at those great reformers. They never cared about eschatology. They never cared about end times. It must not be that important. But you just got to remember history that they were fighting for literally what is salvation? How do you get saved? And again, they came out with the truth that salvation was found only in Christ. And all their energies was poured into just that, because that was what was being attacked at the moment. Now again, I do want to say this, that it is true that a person does not enter into saving faith, saving relationship with God by believing a particular prophetic uh, scenario. I've got to lay that down because I think sometimes people spend so much energy on the prophetic, but they don't even get salvation right. A person is saved because they have trusted Christ's sacrifice and what he's done on the cross for them, right? That God, that Christ is the God-man, came, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, went to the cross because of the will of the Father, And it literally became our substitute. Our sin was placed on him. So therefore, uh, when a person receives Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are saying, my righteousness is as filthy rags. I am putting my full hope and trust in Jesus Christ as the God-man who died in my place. And that's what Ephesians 2. For by grace... You've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is, a, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's all grace through the conduit of faith. Faith being that I am trusting completely in what Christ did. Like Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. That if we confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, notice they don't just say Jesus, it says the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, there again, he was resurrected, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And and, you know, when you look at that, that last part, you say, well, wait a second, I thought it was just the heart. Isn't the heart, I mean, it says the heart is one that believes unto righteousness. Well, yeah, but <clears throat> what comes out of the mouth generates from the, health, uh, from the heart. So he says, and with the mouth confession is made. In other words, if you're a true believer, you're willing to confess it with your mouth. This idea of secret service Christian isn't even in scripture. If you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. You're willing to say it. Yes, Christ is the one. Christ is the only one. He's the only one that can save me. So he is the only one that can save us, right? So putting that as the 
as the key, right? The, the, the Bible is sufficient. It is authoritative. The scriptures is what tells us uh, that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. Christ came as the perfect God-man. He sacrificed himself for me. That's the um, doctrine of Christ. And now that we, if we put our faith and trust in him, we are saved. We're made uh, part of God's family, one of his children, completely forgiven, totally secure. With those doctrines solid, now it's time to move and say, okay, let's understand, the, as it were, the rest of Scripture. I would say this, that when it comes to the study of eschatology, it really should be one of your last studies. Like a person gets saved, I would never say, why don't you study Revelation? Now, let's get everything else straight. Let's make sure you know what the, you know, the doctrines of the Bible and sin and, and the Holy Spirit and God and Christ and, and salvation. Let's get those. But when, when you start getting those solid, now we need to understand the end of the story. Because again, God did write it and he wants us to understand it. I would say this. A true believer does not necessarily mature in their Christian faith by embracing a certain eschatological scheme. They don't necessarily grow through that. I, I, I want to be real careful. I, I'm, I'm spending some time on here because at the end of this study of Revelation that I was planning on being 10 weeks, there's no way. No, because I was really originally only going to do the first three chapters. But I've, a number of months ago I decided, no, we just need to study Revelation. But the thing is this, I want to make sure that after you get done studying Revelation, you are more mature in Christ. Because it is very easy just to get some uh, inconsequential uh, uh, facts, figures, you know, some things to kind of argue about, as it were. Now, it, just because you have a certain eschatological theme doesn't mean that you're necessarily mature. But I will say this, they do mature, we do mature by embracing the God of prophecy. As, as, as you see God in prophecy, now you mature. Because this is the God, this is the true God, the one whose will is being accomplished, whose degree, uh, decrees are being fulfilled. And this should mature us. You should come out of revelation, not with just some facts, but you should have a greater confidence in God, knowing that he is accomplishing his will. And all because God is becoming bigger in your life. That's really why, that's how maturity happens, because God is becoming bigger. So, why do we study prophecy? Let me answer it three different ways. Why should we be studying it for, let's say, two years? We may be studying Revelation until Jesus Christ comes back, right? I would dare say that the Lord is coming back pretty quick here, right? I think America is going to be, you know, we've always asked, where is American prophecy? I think we're starting to get the answer. We're not there. We're not even a major power any longer. I think by the time you get to Revelation chapter 6, we're not even on the... We were just a history blip, right? Well, let's, let's look at... Um, why should Christians study? The first is just the fact of the biblical content. Scripture is packed with prophetic material. There's a, there's a law of what we call law of proportion... What this law simply means is that you can discern the importance of a subject in Scripture by how much attention is devoted to it. Law of proportion. Take the whole Bible, how much of a particular subject is, is um, given attention to that particular subject. 
Now, let's, this is with the Bible. Now, think about this. The Bible, when, it was, when the Bible was being written, each of the passages, a quarter, actually 27% of the Bible, uh, uh, scholars say, it was prophetic when it was first written. 27%. That's more than one out of four. You take a verse, one out of four verses. 27% is prophetic. Huge. So much of the scriptures is prophetic. Now, a lot of it has been, by the way, uh, fulfilled, right? You know, uh, Isaiah 53, fulfilled. Still little pieces to, to deal with, but, you know, pretty much all fulfilled. Isaiah 9, 6, wonderful counselor, right? Fulfilled. A lot of fulfillment. But when it was originally written, it was prophetic. Let me just give you a few other pieces. In the Old Testament, prophecy, the prophecy in the Old Testament, 28.5%. Take the whole Old Testament, 28.5%. When it comes to the New Testament, because a lot of that is fulfilled, it's 21%. So again, the whole is about 27. Just a huge amount. <coughs> Which, this is what concerns me about that particular uh, statistic. When you hear a man that is a teacher, a pastor, and says, you know, I don't want to deal with prophecy, you're just eliminating a quarter of what the Word of God is, right? When a person says, I don't want to study prophecy, a quarter of it is not going to be looked at. A couple other things. You know, 62 of the 66 books, that's 95%, contain predictive material. The only four books in the Scripture that have nothing as far as a prophecy is Ruth, Song of Solomon, Philemon, and Third John. Everything else has, has uh, points of prophecy in it. Only three of 27 New Testament books do not mention Christ's second return. Only three of the 27. And that, that's again Philemon, 3 John, and then add on 2 John. In other words, but when it comes to the New Testament authors, every one of the New Teth- Testament authors uh, mentioned Christ's return. Second coming. Because, uh, again, even though John doesn't mention his second and third, he doesn't mention in first. So, again, and obviously Revelation. Prophecy, as one man says, helps us to understand the whole Bible. It provides the framework so that so uh, as not to be lost. To be a student of the prophets of Scripture is to be a student of the Scriptures in their entirety. We've got to understand prophecy. And next week we're going to be looking at are actually some rules of interpretation. Because again, we can say, yes, we need to understand prophecy, but if we don't understand the rules of interpretation, hermeneutics, <coughs> you'll be lost again. You're going to be looking at all these things as different. And why can't we just go to the book and say, you know what, God wants to make it known to us. Why can't we do that? It's very frustrating when you hear of all these interpretations and it's like, well, could you hand this to a 12-year-old and tell them to read it and would they get that out of there? Or do you have to go to seminary to figure that interpretation out? Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, again, we want to have a normal, literal interpretation so that I could hand this to my 14-year-old son and say, what do you think that means? What do you think that... And he would start, because it makes sense. So, the first reason we should study prophetic scripture is because we, it's a quarter, it's, it's emphasized, it's just the content. How about the third, or the second? Biblical commendations. Biblical commendations. In Matthew 28, verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what? 
All things. Now, now catch this. All things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, what? Even to the... That's prophet. That's prophecy. What do you mean, the end of the age? Well, we know Christ is king, right? King of kings, Lord of lords. Thousand-year reign. He will be here. He can, he can promise that because we see in Scripture what? All things. Why? Because the end of the age. He'll be at the end of the age. Let me give you a couple others. Acts 20, verse 20. Again, this is not optional. It's Paul talking to the Ephesian elders. He says this, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, the whole purpose of God. What do you mean, Paul? Well, I'm sure he even went back to Daniel. Hey, look at this. Look at this, guys. God's decrees, God's purposes, God's will being fulfilled systematically. Look at this. Oh, yeah, that's the Babylonians. There's the Persians. There's the Greeks. There's the Romans. You know, when he says the whole will of God, he's not just talking about the, the doctrine of the Bible and, and the, the doctrine of salvation. He's saying, listen, I showed you who God was or is. I showed you his purposes. I, I, I'm giving you an understanding of the big picture. That's what gives us confidence in this life. If we try to get confidence in this life by anything other than God, we're going to be up and down, right? Right? So we've got, we got to see God as big. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 10, it says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied the grace that would come to you made, now this is what the prophets did, made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. The prophets got into the scriptures trying to understand the who and the when and how, okay? The prophets did it. We need to do it. We need to understand prophecy. So that's the commendations from Scripture. It tells us to do all. We see Paul's example. We see the prophet's example. We need to put our hearts into this. I I have found it because I really thought at first. I mean, some of the stuff I've been learning, I mean, it's been really hitting me. It always hits me. That's the great thing about studying the Scripture. It always hits you, right? Don't you just love getting in the book? Love getting in the book. I actually love getting in the book when it's a hard passage because you struggle through it for day after day and when it comes out, it's, it's, it, it feels like or it's, it, it's like pure gold. You ever struggle through a passage and it's like, I got it. I don't know why I didn't see it before, but I got it now. But one of the things I've been getting is how important prophecy is. It just gives you confidence. It gives you, again, God is so much more magnified. Our problems are so much more, <laughs> that doesn't sound right, uh, is shrunk as you see God working out his you know, purposes on this earth. Well, let me give you a third, and this, this is where we'll camp for a few more minutes. Um, the scriptural consequences. See, we want to study and understand uh, prophecy because of the results. Some things, actually, that I've been telling you just now. I mean, again, Revelation says that he who, who reads this, hears it, studies it, does it, is going to be blessed. Right? It's going to be blessed. So the consequences for, uh, for studying prophecy, there's eight of them. Hopefully we'll get through most of them. Again, some, present, some say that prophecy distracts people from the present. 
Some say it distracts. Why think way ahead? Why think into the next seven years or the seven-year tribulation? Why worry about the millennial reign of Christ? Because you're distracting us from the present. I would say that's absolutely false. It doesn't distract. What it does is refocuses us for the present. If you look and see what's coming, it refocuses you for right now, how you're going to live right now. There was a popular song years ago. The song was Don't Stop, but one of the lines said this, Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. And you're going to start singing it. But you know what? When it comes to Scripture, when it comes to the future, that's really how we're supposed to think. We're supposed to think about tomorrow. We're supposed to set our minds and our hearts on the Lord Jesus Christ and His plan and purpose for this earth. We, you cannot stop. Don't, don't just focus on today. You've got to think about tomorrow. Well, let's, let me give you eight different things that happen. First of all, understanding prophecy exalts Christ. And this is the key. This is the key. This is the, the quintessential reason for studying prophecy. It exalts Jesus Christ. In fact, in Revelation verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Again, we're going to spend some time on this when we get there, but Revelation chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. I always find that interesting. The revelation of Jesus Christ, that's chapter 1, verse 1 of Revelation. Basically, John tells you this is, it's all about him. Isn't it fascinating that we can go to the book of Revelation and sometimes in our study, Christ is not exalted. Looking for a peace, looking for a... It's all about Jesus Christ. It is all about the King. That's what the book of Revelation... It's all about the King. He's coming back. And when he does, everything is going to be put into place. We've got we to put our eyes to that. You know, when it says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, uh, Revelation 19.10, another translation wrote it this way, the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. That's the, that's the essence of prophecy, to give a clear witness for Jesus Christ. I mean, think about the prophecies of Scripture. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Remember that first one? Remember what Genesis 3.15? It was a promise of a deliverer who would crush the serpent's head. Right back there, what is that? Uplifting Christ. There's going to be someone that crushes the serpent's head. And, you get, and, and what you see is throughout Scripture, the thread of who Jesus Christ is. That's, that's what's important about it. He wants us to see him high and lifted up. That's why in um, there's a... A book that I got from March, Mark Hitch, Hitchcock. And he just talked about how many prophecies. He just had 25, and I won't even... But how many prophecies in the Old Testament? Just look at Christ. Again, Genesis 3, seed of the woman. Exodus 12, Passover lamb. Psalms 110, the great high priest. Second Kings 7, that's where the Davidic kingdom, Jesus is referred to as the king. Isaiah 9, 6, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Isaiah 53, my servant. God the Father calls Christ my servant. Why? Because he, go, he comes to do the will of the Father. Isaiah 53, 3, a man of sorrows. And Daniel 2, when we were there, we saw him as the smiting stone. Daniel 7, the Son of Man. 
Daniel 9, the anointed one. How about Zechariah 13, my shepherd? And you can go on and on and on. The point is, is this, is that Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We, if we walk away from studying scripture and we don't understand better of our Lord Jesus Christ, then we have not really accomplished what scripture, I mean, what the prophecy was for. It should be where we are revealing, understanding, exalting Jesus Christ. Because really, history is nothing more than his story. Right? We've heard that before. His story being played out. Understanding uh, history in light of Bible prophecy, therefore, is critical. It, it really causes us to worship Him. <laughs> or to say it this way, worship must flow from our study of prophecy. When worship and prophecy are divorced, the result is mere religious curiosity. Worship. I would hope in the next few months, as we come together to worship, our worship has been... Um, um, uh, solidified. That we come with a greater desire to worship Jesus Christ because of all that we're seeing in prophecy. John Wolverd said it this way. Now, John Wolverd was the uh, president of Dallas Theological Seminary. He was a very intellectual man. He was a man who many go back to to understand difficult passages. Let's say it that way. I say all that to say this. You would think that he might be this uh, stoic, non-emotional, just let me tell you the truth type of guy. But this is what he wrote about prophecy. This means that prophecy at its very heart is designed to unfold the beauty and the loveliness of the Lord Jesus, of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Christ is not only the major theme of Scripture, but also the central theme of prophecy. Now, as we go, there should be a greater love for him. We should see his beauty, his loveliness, you know. Now, some, some of the prophecies are real hard, right? When he breaks open the seals and hell on earth comes, literally, in the sense of destruction, to the tribulation, and yet we see the beauty and loveliness of the Lord. Why? Because we say, you know what? He is, he is taking back what was taken from him. I mean, that was destroyed. He's going to return. That's the millennial kingdom. <coughs> he does judge in righteousness. He is, right, he is right to do it. One other guy said this, a prophecy. It will help us to make the unseen real and create within the believer's life the very atmosphere of heaven. Prophecy should create a, like the atmosphere of heaven. One cannot do other than worship and reading the revelation, end quote. So it should just be that it just jumps up. So prophecy exalts our Lord. That's the main reason we should study it. How about number two? Understanding fulfilled prophecy inspires confidence in the scriptures. We know the passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture, all scripture. You go from Ezekiel, Isaiah, you go Daniel, you go Revelation, you go Zechariah. All scripture is given by inspiration, right? Well, as we see passages, some passages are being fulfilled. They say half of all the things that were, or one-third, excuse me, one-third of all the, all the um, Prophecies of Christ's first, come, uh, first coming. There was about 333 passages 
uh, concepts about Christ's first and second coming. For his first coming, about 109 of them have been fulfilled. Which means there's 230-some that still have to be fulfilled of his second coming. But, but when you see the 109 fulfilled, what does that do for you? Wow, this is the book. This is the book. This has the answer. It gives you confidence. Again, going back to John Wolverd, he says this, the Bible contains about a thousand prophecies of all different sorts, and about 500 of them have already been fulfilled. A thousand prophecies, 500 have been fulfilled. 500 more to be fulfilled. Of all the different prophecies. What is that? So far, that's... 500 and five, 500. 500 has been uh, f- uh, uh, prophesied up to this point. 500 been fulfilled. What is that? What's the batting average there? Batting 1,000, right? Well, you go to that and you say, yeah, okay. You know, I can have confidence in what the Word of God says. That's, that's why we study prophecy, because it gives us confidence in the Scripture. Not only that, but the God of the Scripture. See, we see His sovereignty. Over time in history, I mean, for sure, after the Jews were dispersed for the final time in A.D. 70, they're gone. We're going to have to get a different concept for the, 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 uh, the term Israel and the term Jew because they're no longer a nation. Whoa, wait a second. They've come back. They're the only nation that's ever come back with a, being able to stay pure, regather, with a national language. That's, they're the only ones. Because God. God promised Abraham. Right? And when all these people are saying, well, no, no, Israel doesn't mean Israel. Israel means the church. No, no, no. Israel means Israel. Israel means the Jew. Get, look at it. Look at what's happening. Well, by the way, we live in tremendously exciting times. You know? I mean, let's face it, Iran and Iraq, what are they, a bunch of sheep herders, you know, with you know, a bunch of camels, and they're, that's how you would have thought of them back in the 1800s. All of a sudden, they're at the front stage, you know? Hmm. Well, God, see, we have a, a greater, uh, not only a greater confidence in Scripture, but a greater confidence in the God of the Scriptures. Second Peter chapter 1, I don't know if I... It says this, so, so we have the, the prophetic word made more sure. That's 2 Peter 1.19. By the way, more sure. He had just been talking about, uh, Peter was talking there in the context about his experience at the transfiguration. Now, now catch this. And he was saying, I, we saw him. And I, we heard the voice of God. Right? But this is what he says in, in here. But the prophetic word that we have is more sure than even that. It's more, it's more uh, stable than even our experiences. That's his whole point in, for, in 2 Peter chapter 1. Oh yeah, you might have an experience. I had an experience. I saw Christ's transfiguration with John and James. But our, the prophetic word that we have is made more sure. And then a couple verses later he said this. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So when we study, that's why it's exciting to study the scriptures. We know that it wasn't according to human will. It was according to God's plan. And so it all makes sense. It all is one great plan. 
Let me give you one other passage that talks about God executing his desire. Isaiah 46, verse 8. And this is how verse 8 starts. I'm going to read a few verses. He says, do not forget this. Keep in mind, remember this, you guilty ones. And he's referring to the fact that, you know what, sometimes we forget, and he's talking about the ungodly, we forget that God's plan is being accomplished. But then in verse 9 he says this, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, well, let's say it this way, the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Now, now this, this is a good one right here, verse 11. Calling a bird of prey from the east. What do you mean? Well, well if you think about the final battles. Call, now, how about this one? And the man who executes my counsel from a far country. I believe what he's referring to there is Cyrus. Because when this is being written, Babylon is still there, but he's saying, listen, I got a man from a far country. He's going to accomplish my plan. Well, yes, Cyrus came in, destroyed Babylon, Persia sets up, right? In other words, people are, or you could say it this way, I've got this other guy, his name is Obama. His name is Biden. His name is Bush. His name is Reagan. His name is Stalin. They're all people that I use. I, I, I accomplish my will. I accomplish my will. Right? Indeed, no, no, let me read this out. The man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. You look at Daniel. You look at Daniel. What do you see in Daniel, right? We studied that a while back. You see... The different nations, Babylon, then Persia, then Greece, then Rome. Then we see a smiting stone. We see some other things. And we see that someday there's going to be a ten-nation federation. There's going, to be a, there's going to be a time when the revived Roman Empire. And what do you see right now? Exactly that. The only problem with the revived, you know, they say it's the EU. It can't be the EU. <clears throat> it can't be the EU the way it is. Why? Because there's too many nations. Probably what's going to happen is they're going to get into districts. You're starting to see that right now. You're starting to see this. Infighting, they, they can't seem to get along. And what they probably end up going to do is just say, listen, let's just get ten quadrants. That's the ten toes of Daniel 2. All I'm saying is prophecy gives clarity of what God is doing. So when we see Iran pop up, you see, you know, why would they... Why? Why would EU, the euro, what? Well, no, God is accomplishing. It gives us confidence in the scripture. It gives us confidence in the God of the scriptures. He's, as Revelation says, the Almighty. You see the word Almighty in Revelation, I think, eight times. Almighty. He's always referring to God. The Pantrocratro. Well, it means this to hold all. To hold all. He holds all. Everything is held in his hand. He's the Almighty One. Boy, does that give us comfort? I don't know what's in your hand. What are you trying to hold in your hand? Don't we try to hold a lot in our hand? Don't we try to like shoulder a lot of burdens? But he's, he's called in Revelation eight times. The Almighty One. See, he holds everything in his hand. 
In fact, Jesus told his disciples this, I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. And I think what he's getting, not just believe, but you would have confidence in what I've been telling you. So it gives us confidence. How about a third one? It gives us composure. Understanding prophecy should give us composure. Now, here I'm referring to your individual life. Again, we live in a chaotic world. I actually mentioned some of these when I first did Daniel. This was two years ago. And I mentioned some of the things, you know, nuclear proliferation. Is it any worse today than it was two years ago? How about the debt? I wrote down, it's 16 trillion. Is that what it is right now? Yike. And they say in two years it'll be 20. But the point is this. We live in a very chaotic world, and it's hard sometimes to keep composure, isn't it? It is hard to keep composure. But prophecy gives us perspective in life. I hope you're not like this... uh, uh, Pilot. There's a story of an airplane lost over the ocean in the middle of a hurricane. You got to picture this, right? I mean, he's lost because the hurricane's, you know, messed up his GPS. The captain decided it was time to inform the passengers of the dilemma. So he turned on the intercom. I have some good news and some bad news, he began. The bad news is that our guidance system has malfunctioned and we have no way of knowing where we are or where we're going. The good news is we're making great time. Boy, I hope that's not you. Right? We don't want to just make good time. We want to have stability. Stability. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I know I'm giving out a number of passages today, but 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our gathering together to him. Now again, that's the context. That's prophecy. That's Christ coming back. We ask you, and just look at the first part of verse 2, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. Based on the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back, don't be shaken in mind or soon troubled. Are you shaken in your mind? Have you lost your composure? Are you easily troubled? Let's, let's focus on the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, right? See, because pr- prophecy gives us this proper perspective. Uh, prophecy tells us that there is a time when every wrong will be righted and every right will be rewarded. If there's nothing else, I, I want you to remember that. There is coming a time when every wrong will be righted. Have you been wrong? Many of you, I even know your stories. You've been wronged. You've been really wrong. In fact, you've been wrong so bad that maybe someone else, no one else even knows about. You've just been wrong. You know what prophecy tells us? There's coming a day of judgment, right? Thankfully, there's two different judge, uh, judgment days, I believe. One is with the family, that's called the Bema. The other is with the unsaved, that's called the white throne judgment. But the reality is, The judge is Jesus Christ, and there's that day coming. So prophecy tells us that every wrong will be righted, and every right will be rewarded. You've been faithful in that relationship, even though the other one isn't. But you're faithful, why? Because you know that there's a reward day coming. 
You've been hurt and maligned, but you responded properly. And there was a reason, because you want to exalt the Savior, and you know there's a day of reward coming. Prophecy gives you that. It gives you composure. You can stand up against trials and suffering because you know there's the end day. All will be revealed. How about number four? It's a source of comfort, i.e. hope, encouragement in the face of sorrow. I mean, what believer hasn't stood in front of an open grave without thinking of the certainty of the resurrection of the body, right? I mean, we have, I have had to do only a handful of people who were most likely unsaved. What do you want me to say? Right? I mean, how hard is that? I mean, basically, you know what you do in those situations? Yes, she, he died, and they loved NASCAR. Yeah, I, what do you mean? It, it dry, you know what dry, really drives me nuts? Is obituaries. Like this person lived for 75 years, and the only thing you can tell me is they loved NASCAR? Isn't that pathetic? I mean, really, isn't that? In our day and age, I mean, you're, you're going to exist for eternity, and that's all you can tell me about the person? So what do you do with the person? You just, you say a few nice things that you just kind of generic and you hopefully is correct, and then you go on to what, who, who Christ is, right? Now, give me an unsaved person, or a saved person, give me a saved person, you know. Yeah, they walked with Jesus Christ for 25 years. Let me talk about him. Do you know his peace? No, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. But he had peace and joy and hope. Right? Marty Stewart. That was a joy. I, I miss Marty. I, I miss her prayers. You know, that's, that's what I miss. Because I always knew she was praying for me. Always praying for me. And the other thing is she'd hand me things. Uh, I was reading this in Daily Bread, and I want you to read this, John. Well, you don't tell Marty no. <laughs> you can rejoice there, right? Can't you? Why? Because they walk with Jesus. They knew Jesus. There's hope. There's comfort. Oh, so much, so much different. And you all experience that. I'm not telling you anything that you... How about another one you find comfort? When misunderstood or wronged has not thought, I mean, the Christian has not thought ahead of time, when the Lord, as Corinthians 4 says, who will bring both, will bring both, uh, both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart, then each one's praise will come from God. Oh yeah, prophecy gives us tremendous comfort. That's why Thessalonians says, in, in reference to the rapture, therefore comfort one another with these words. I think probably at every, at every funeral I've had to do, if it pertains to a Christian, we always mention that. Comfort one another. Why? Because we should walk away. Yes, there's sorrow, there's grief. I mean, we, we don't... Uh, disregard that, but you know what should play even greater than the grief should be the joy and the comfort because we know that this one is with the Lord. My grandfather, and I believe my gram and grandpa were, my gram was saved, was definitely saved, and my grandpa saved, but that's one of the, fir- the first things he t- asked me. I mean, this is, she, she died uh, how many months ago? Many, but he still, you know what he keeps saying? Uh, you know, now the way the scripture says, Johnny, always John, um, she's with the Lord, right? Yes, grab. Absent from the pro, uh, absent from the body, what present with the Lord? Yes, grab. That's what he's looking for. Comfort, comfort. 
I mean, his soulmate of 60 plus years, where is she at? She's with the Lord. Comfort. So prophecy gives us comfort. That's why it's called the, the second, uh, the, the return of Christ is called the blessed hope. It's blessed. It's a hope. By the way, that is so opposite of the world. You know, the Greek and Roman civilization looked at death. This is how they characterized death. Descriptive terms like bitter. That's all they could think of. Death was bitter. Ruinous. Relentless. The eternal chamber of those who have withered. Hopeless. Hopelessness. I mean, all those. And that's what they still today, right? And yet, what are we told? Therefore, comfort one another with these words. In fact, 1 Thessalonians says this, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you're also doing. So not only comfort, but edify. Edify, build them up. I don't know who will be the next funeral here. Maybe it will be me, right? None of us know. When we walk out, we should be comforting one another and building one, one another up. Man, aren't you glad that he walked with Jesus? Aren't you glad that she had that testimony? And you know what? I want to have that type. You want to have that testimony, type of testimony? Yeah, I want that type of testimony. We need to walk with the Lord. We need to even make sure that we're walking close right now. Yep. Now that's, it should be a real comfort. How about number five? Understanding prophecy produces conviction in believers and conversion of unbelievers. Think about Acts 2. 3,000, but what, are they, what were they, they were literally, Peter was expounding on the fact that Christ, he's the Messiah, the foretold one. Prophecy was what cr- created that conversion of the unbeliever. Because they finally saw, he is the promised Messiah, he came and died for my sin. And we could say a whole lot, but time will not permit But just know this, that in Acts, you see a number of times, in Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 17, Acts 15, they are going back to prophecy as they are preaching, saying, listen, he is the promised one. So so prophecy should create conversion of the unbeliever, as well as conviction in believers. Because we see our God as high and lifted up. That creates conviction, yeah. I mean, just very simply, like we've been saying. Yes, if indeed Christ is coming back, and if indeed he is going to reward the faithful, that drives us to conviction. Yeah, I want to be faithful. Recently, I won't tell you the particulars other than to say this. One of the driving forces in my life to change for the good to be more godly, was just the fact of the bima, the reward. I am standing before Jesus Christ. Don't you want to stand before him and be rewarded well? Is it worth, is it worth the sacrifice today? Yes. By the way, let me say this. Sometimes when we, think of, um, when we think of the Christian life, we think of it as individual. You know, I mean, you've got an individual, individual. But you know, the Christian life is supposed to be corporate. In fact, if we w- did have a membership Sunday, I, I was going to use this one quote. The Christian life is inescapably corporate. Now, what am I trying to get at? Sometimes in our individualistic society, individuals as a Christian, we forget corporate. I would say this, and and make sure you hear me here. If you have something against another Christian, get it straight, right? God does not look favorably upon his children having, 
having arguments and dissension and factions with each other, right? Isn't that true? If you have something against another Christian, make sure you get it right. It might just be going to them and saying, you know, I don't even know, but I want to get this right. That's the conviction. In other words, conviction is so strong, I'm even willing to humbly go to another person and say, listen, I want to walk in fellowship with you. Because why? Jesus is coming back. <laughs> That's a good reason. I'm going to stand before him. That's a great reason. I want to hear him say, well done. That's a great reason. Prophecy. How about number six? Understanding prophecy should bring cleansing to the one studying it. First John, beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Oh, praise God for that. What we are will be. Someday, <coughs> John Prince is going to be perfect. Not yet. By the way, not yet. How about I go on? But we know that when he is revealed... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him, in himself, purifies himself. Right? If you have the hope in him, excuse me, in him, Christ, purifies himself, that's me, just as he is pure. So, just the fact of understanding prophecy should purify us. We come out of studying Revelation for a year and a half, two years, whatever it is. We should be pure people. We should be, we should be able to exalt Christ in a greater degree, we should be able to be say, you know what, this has purified my personal life. How does, you know, studying the Antichrist purify your life? We'll see it. But the point is this, it should happen. Not just curiosity for knowledge. So purify. How about number seven? Understanding prophecy should promote consecration. Again, holy living. That's what Titus is all about. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age. That's, that's why. Why? Looking for the blessed hope. I'm looking for the blessed hope. That should, that should make me consecrated. Charles Dyer, another prophecy expert, says this, quote, God gave us prophecy to change our hearts, not to fill our heads with knowledge. God never predicted future events just to satisfy our curiosity about the future. Every time God announces events that are future, he includes with his predictions practical applications to life. God's pronouncements about the future carry with them specific advice for the here and now. That's what he just said, right, in Titus chapter 2. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Looking for the blessed hope. Yeah, we should, man, it should just drive us to consecration with God. It should just create in us a greater desire to live holy, to live committed lives to Him and to each other. Let me give you one last. Second Peter Chapter 3, verse 11. Now, Peter, at the end of his passage, uh, at, the, at this passage, is saying, listen, what is going to happen to the whole earth? And this is what he says. Therefore, since all these things... Uh, just do me a favor right now. Look around. Just look around. And all that... Maybe you can see the mountains. Maybe you can see the... All right. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, except for people... What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and in godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord? 
because all because of, of which the heavens will be dissolved. I mean, we should we should look for the day. We should look for the second coming. And, but I like that little part. What type of people should you be if you really do believe that all this is going to be dissolved? Are you talking about trees are all going to? Yep, they're all gone. How about all blocks? I don't see Benny here, but you know what? Blocks are going to be gone. Any. Any buildings are going to be gone. How about rocks? Are they going to be gone? Yeah, everything is going to be uncreated at a moment of time. All the things that we put so much time, energy, effort. What type? So as Peter says, what manner of persons ought you to be? And then finally, knowledge of the future should breed consistency throughout one's life. Consistency. It it makes us patient. You can just write this down. James 5 verse 7. It says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Just be patient. Be patient. And in the context, he's talking about be patient with the trials that you have to endure and the suffering that you have to endure. Because if there's anything that can be said about the Scripture is this. The writers understand that we live in a Genesis 3 world. We don't live in a Genesis 1 world. We're perfection. We don't live in a Genesis 2 world. We live in a Genesis 3 world. And so he keeps focusing us, future, future. Look to the future. But then I'll close with this. It also makes us consistent with service. After talking about the resurrection, after talking also, alluding to the rapture, will be changed in a moment, a twinkling of an eye. This is what Paul says. Therefore, therefore, being because of all these things are true, because there is a resurrection coming, because there is the rapture, And we will be changed in a twinkling of an eye. Therefore, my beloved brethren, because of those truths, because prophecy is true and be steadfast, immovable, what? Always abounding, what? In the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You ever get tired? You ever get tired as a mother? You ever get tired as a father? How about a grandfather? Grandmother. Any of you have great, great, grand, great, grandchildren? Yeah, we get tired. How about tired as a student, tired as a Christian, tired as a church member? Maybe you're teaching uh, an ABF, or maybe you're teaching uh, Sunday school, you're working in an Olympian club. You know, do you ever get tired? Do you ever get tired with people's problems? No, really. Maybe, do you ever get tired with friendships? Do you ever get tired with a friendship? Being mobile, what, in the work of the Lord. We need, to, we need to, again, get our eyes on tomorrow. We need to get our eyes on the end. Because the more you can get your eyes on the end, what, it just, it just makes you consistent right now. Wow. You know, Lord, in fact, this is usually my prayer. <laughs> Lord, just please forgive me, you know, sometimes even like this, for being a whiny. You ever get whiny? Lord, forgive me for whining. Forgive me for being selfish, as Bob's been preaching downstairs, teaching downstairs, for being proud, for making this as my little kingdom is most important when it's really about your kingdom. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I, I, I want to I, I be immovable in your work. I want to be faithful in your work, Lord. Forgive me. Get my eyes on the end. Get my eyes on the bema. Get my eyes on the final because that gives me strength for today, right? 
I trust that's where you're at. Let's stand as we worship.